Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rankable Podcast. I'm excited. My name is Garrett Sussman of Rank, And today we're talking about something that, that everyone's been dealing with for two years. You, you may or may not have gone back to an office, but like most of us, you're you're probably not. You're probably like in the remote for the long haul. I am talking with Ruth Burridi. Now, Ruth is the vice president of strategy at Upbuild, which is you know a fully distributed marketing agency. They specialize in technical SEO, advanced web analytics, whole funnel technical marketing strategy. Been in the industry for 15 plus years. I mean, at one point she had a stint with the head of SEO at Moz. We're just talking about that, you know, mutual people that we know before then. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you today, Ruth, about remote workplace. Thanks for joining me. I'm so happy to be here, and I can talk about remote workplaces all day. So yeah. And before we even get into that, I one fun fact you shared with me. So you got to tell me the story. Wheel, you were on Wheel of Fortune. I was on Wheel of Fortune in 2002. I tried out actually for College Wheel, and because I was in college at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how old I am. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> case you're wondering uh when you try out you sign a thing that basically says you can call me for the next 18 months um so i did not get onto college wheel didn't really think like i had only really tried out you know on a lark and then several months later got a call and they were like we want you to come be on nfl week uh do you you like football and i was like sure i can like anything you want me to like Um, (laughs) i was gonna ask do you like football (laughs) i like football now at the time i you know i had to do some reading about it but um so yeah, I was on with uh, Sean Alexander, who was the running back for the Seahawks at the time. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he was super nice. Um, I did not win, but I was ahead the whole game. And then on the very last puzzle before you know, the final round, one person won like really big on that one puzzle and went to the final round. That, that's the, I mean, I, I love game show culture. It's so much fun too. Like I remember watching, like same watching like college, uh, college wheel of fortune and being like looking for my own college at the time. Like, cause they mm-hmm. always wear the name on the sweatshirt. I was like, yeah. hey, is there someone there today? But never, never happened. No, no one can best everyone. Anyway. Yeah, it was super small college. So. <laughs> so you wrapped. I bet, I bet there were like a good hundred people out there watching there being like, there it is. There's that's my, that's my school. Well, and then on campus for the next couple of years, people would occasionally be like, you're that girl who was on wheel of fortune. That's that's, I mean, that's, that's a claim to fame. Now you're also a major karaoke uh, a singer or, or, mm-hmm. or have, have a slight obsession. I, I'm very I curious. What's your an enthusiast. Enthu- okay. Okay. We won't oversell it, but yeah. what's the go-to, what's the go-to song? So I firmly believe that your job at karaoke is one song party DJ. Um, Like people don't actually care what you sound like when they're singing. They want you to sing a song that they want to hear. And if you pick the right song, they won't even hear you singing because they will sing along. And that's, I think, the secret to unlocking karaoke. So I have several go-tos that I will will pick depending on the vibe. Um, I do Super Bass by Nicki Minaj a lot. Um, you know, people love it when a white mom raps. It's nice. <laughs> um, I will do It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion, which I really like because there's a moment when you can kind of go, everybody, and then everybody will sing. And so that's what I look for in a karaoke song. Um, I did uh, Sweet Child of Mine at karaoke at State of Search uh, a bunch of years ago. And my friend Duncan took uh, a video of me and then slacked it to everyone who worked at STAT. And blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even blackmail, just spreading the news. And then like periodically throughout the years has pulled that video up at various conferences to show people. So 
Oh my God, that's so much fun. I'm, I'm always, yeah. well, I'm old school when I learned that they would never have anything contemporary, like showing my age again. I remember in the early 2000s, my, I always would go to the books and I would look for the mm -hmm. song um, Ghetto Superstar. Mm, and, it, mm -hmm. and it was never in there. So it was either like achy, breaky heart, which embarrassing, or I would just go classic and do journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't stop believing. So. But now um, karaoke cages, if you will, yeah. um, it's all, you know, they're on Wi-Fi, so they can just download whatever song you want. You mean it's not Laserdisc anymore? <laughs> not Laserdisc. Fun fact. Karaoke is no longer run on Laserdisc. I know. It's, and I don't even know when I'll go back, you know, now with yeah, uh, right. going in public. Anyway, we can all find our Zoom room and do it together. Let's let's talk remote. So 2016, mm -hmm. you, you started working remotely. Um, so in over the last like, you know, six years now, mm -hmm. what have you learned about running like a dis uh, distributed remote team like how was it when you started and and what how's it kind of evolved yeah um so I was a build's fifth employee um so at the time we were pretty small uh and Upbuild started as our CEO, Mike Arneson. It was just him. And then he brought on some contractors to outsource some work to and then hired them full time. And it grew from there. So when I came on, it really had the feel of like, we are a bunch of contractors and freelancers who are all working on the same projects. Um, and that's fine, but it's also not a company culture. So one of the things that I really wanted to do when I came on at Upbuild was to say, okay, what is our company culture, which I think boils down to what does it feel like to work here? And how can we make that experience consistent for people who are not all in the same place? Right. Which, which is hard, right? Yeah, it's super hard. Um, and I think marketers have some unique skills that lend themselves really well to culture building because it's a lot of the same stuff as brand building. Uh, and like building a brand, you have to accept that like parts of people's experience and parts of the company culture, parts of your brand entirely outside of your control, but they're still part of it. And you still need to understand what those are. Um, so, you know, a big part of what I was doing when I was first coming on building company culture, we already had a really strongly defined set of values. Um, Upbuild's been a really values driven company from day one. And We've all worked at companies with values. We have all worked at companies that said they had values and then didn't live by them. And I have found through my own life that having a company say that they hold values that they don't actually have over time, every time they say those values out, out loud, you're just like, yeah, feels wrong. Even if you like working there, you're like, that's not true. Yeah, it, it builds resentment for sure. It I've does. had those. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so making sure that we were incorporating those values and, and defining those better in terms of like sets of actions, um, I think has been really helpful. It certainly helped throughout the years uh, from a leadership perspective. When you actually are values driven, a lot of hard decisions become very easy because you can fall back on that. Uh, you know, if we say like these six things are more important to us than money, then that that's where you can draw that line. But in terms of building culture, a lot of it was... Um, defining and standardizing processes. And I think with SEOs, SEOs as people, you don't want to go too hard on that because if you hire, especially if you're hiring experienced, advanced marketers, they have their own way of doing things that's really successful. And sometimes it's like, well, you like to use AHRFs, but we're on SEMrush. So 
you use SEM rush now because that's what we pay for. Um, but some of it is like, I'm not going to tell you every step of how to do keyword research if I'm hiring you five years into your career, because you should know how to do that. You will hate me and you're not going to do it this way anyway. But instead figuring out where are the places that we can standardize, where can we have a uniform process, not only so that our deliverables are consistent, which then, you know, ties into branding, making sure that our clients are having a consistent experience, regardless of who they're working with, but also that the experience of building that deliverable is consistent from person to person, even if some of the, pro you know, however you get the data, when you're processing it and packaging it and putting it together, that process is similar enough that if we need to hand a client off from one person to another, if somebody gets sick and somebody has to come in and take over, there's enough consistency that that can go really smoothly. Um, I think that that's a big part of it is just here's what you are doing and here's how how it goes and here's how it looks when you're done. And I think the other half of that is then, you know, when you are in person, a lot of culture just happens. Like you don't have to necessarily think about it too hard for, for better or for worse. Sometimes that means your culture is really toxic and there's a ton of gossip and people are standing around all day. Um, but it just happens and it doesn't happen when you're remote. So you really have to facilitate those. Okay, if there aren't any water cooler conversations, how do we get those going? How do we make sure we know each other as people? So one of the things we do is every Wednesday, we have a water cooler channel in our Slack and I'll just ask a question, you know, what was one thing that you thought was going to be a bigger part of your life when you were a kid then turned out to be as an adult? Quicksand is mine. Really thought quicksand was going to be much more of a thing. Than it has turned out to be. Um, you know, what's your favorite kind of pie? Uh, describe your ideal morning. If you had one hour extra in the day, what would you do with it? You know, getting people talking, getting people having conversations. Um, we also, uh, this is an idea that I stole from Buffer, um, who has done a lot of work and thought leadership around remote work. Uh, have pair calls uh, every week where everybody is assigned to another person in the company. You have okay. a 15 minute conversation and it can't be about work. I love that. I love that. And what, what do you, like, what do you think, like, do you get a vibe that like people are like really have a better connection after you've been doing that for a hot minute? I do. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we, we know each other pretty well at this point and there's a lot of trust. You know, one of the things that I think can get lost in terms of building trust as a team. It's nice. It feels good. Many, many, many studies have shown that people do better work when they feel safe. And one of the ways that you can help people feel safe is to foster trust as a team. But also like one of the huge, huge benefits of doing SEO as an agency is that you have other SEOs around. The times when I've been in-house, I've missed that so much. Just like, I know more about SEO than anyone at this entire company. And I don't know what to do right now. So, but that like, hey, everybody, I'm having trouble with this. What do you think? That becomes a more vulnerable ask when it's in something like a Slack channel and you can't just pull somebody aside and be like, hey, what should I do about this? So I think fostering that trust and getting to know each other on a personal level, it's not just something that feels good and, you know, is good for morale. I think there actually is a business case to be made for it because it allows people to get outside of their boxes and know that they can ask for help and people aren't going to make fun of them or think less of them. You know, and I do it all the time. You know, I don't, I, what do you guys think about this? Um, yeah, no, I think, I think that makes, like, I love, I love that sort of like collaboration and, and to your point, like, it makes sense that it has to be safe. I'm curious because like we're talking about like the the getting the engagement, which sometimes can be tough, right? Mm -hmm. Like no matter the size, like 
you know, you're trying to build that culture and you want people to participate. Some people are natural at it. Some people don't. I know y'all are hiring right now. Yes, we are. When you're baking, like, how do you look at that in the process of hiring? Like, cause there, does it matter whether people are the type of people who do participate in conversations versus don't like, is it like, if they have a skill set, do they need to be part of the culture? Like, how do you approach that? So I feel like you're asking two separate but closely related questions. Yeah. Um, I think there's plenty of room for somebody who is very introverted and not very talkative um, on a remote team. Absolutely. Uh, and even at a team, you know, where we are trying to encourage people to talk to each other. That's one of the reasons why we started doing pair calls, because if you're in a group, the quietest person in the group is probably not going to speak up. So giving a, a lower pressure way to interact. We also allow people. So this is something that we actually started doing. Um, we were getting into 2020 and we had a couple of people be like, listen, pair calls right now are just killing my soul. Like, what am I up to this weekend? Nothing. How am I doing? Bad. You know, I don't want to talk about That's real. That's real. Yeah, that's real. And I don't want to like force people to, to do that. And so we added an opt out where you can opt out for, from pair calls for a quarter and then check in and, and reconnect and you know, reassess whether or not you're ready to come back. Um, so yes, people who are not participating in conversations, there are lots of other ways to involve them. Someone who does not want to participate in the culture, I would say that is a different question and I would not want to hire that person. So there are definitely people, I've hired enough SEOs in my career. Sometimes you interview somebody and they're like, I've been freelancing for the last 10 years and I'm ready to not freelance anymore. Great, cool, awesome. But often then what they say next is something like, what I really want is for you to send me work and I will do the work and then send it back to you because I've been freelancing for 10 years and that's what I, I want to keep doing that. But I want, you know, more of the security and the stability and the, and the pipeline and all of the things that come along with being an employee. And I, I get that. Like I, I sympathize with that. But a culture doesn't really work unless there's buy-in. You know, it's part of my job to get buy-in from the team. But if somebody is starting from a position of, I don't want to buy in, I don't see why it's valuable, I don't think it's important, that's hard to overcome. And especially with a small team, that's the kind of just like little little piece of seaweed on the hull of the boat that can really start slowing you down and getting you off course. So we do try really hard to create ways, you know, and as a lot of this is done via Slack, it's done via asynchronous communication. You know, there are people who don't like to talk out loud, but are happy to talk on Slack, things like that. We also try in the before times, try to get together in person a couple of times a year and get to know each other that way. Um, and again, in the before times, you know, when someone's speaking at a conference or someone's attending a conference, we like to send another person to, to give them some one-on-one -on -one time. Uh, we had this really extroverted or this really introverted person on the team. I'm super extroverted. I don't know if you could tell, um, but he really wasn't. And we went to MozCon together this many years ago now. And I just, I saw him like twice. We had coffee one day and otherwise it was just like, yeah, your thing. I'll do mine. And that's fine. As long as you're still buying into the culture, buying into the values, um, you know, and that comes across in someone's work too, I think. Yeah, it's 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 such an interesting thing to navigate, especially in the mm -hmm. hiring process, because mm -hmm. there's so much that you try to tease out, but it, it's always difficult to see 
the entire picture. I 100% agree with you with like the meeting up thing. Cause you know, uh, both myself, like you, my wife, like whenever we've like, we're at the remote culture and you, and you meet up with teams, if it's like once, even once a year, mm-hmm. you just feel connected to that, per, to that like group of people, like yeah. Italy. And then that lasts for another, you know, however a few months. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that I think, I think the call out about the freelancing is really interesting about on the other side, if you're looking to join an agency or in-house team and you work freelance, you really have to think about being it, being able to change your mindset because it's mm-hmm. not just about just doing the work. Right. I mean, yeah. if it was, then we would hire a contractor, but if you are on a W2 and not a 1099, then I expect you to be part of our company. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, like you mentioned also about the asynchronous communication. So mm-hmm. like communication styles, there's a mm-hmm. lot of ways we can communicate with work, whether it's Slack, email, Zoom. Mm-hmm. What do you, what have you found to be an effective and fair way to make sure that ideas and collaborations are communicated effectively, whether it's in, you know, with your team or with clients Mm -hmm. that actually works, that doesn't burn people out? Oh, that's such a good question. And like, so hard. So hard. Um, I think that SEO is a, is a practice that lends itself really well to remote work because, there are times when you need to go just like super heads down. And if you need to just turn off Slack and turn off email and work on something for three hours, it's a lot easier to do that when you're not in an office. Um, And so we really try to create space for that. So we have, for example, no meeting Wednesdays. We don't, we don't have any recurring meetings on Wednesdays. We don't have client meetings on Wednesdays. It's just Wednesday afternoons. So if you need to have a meeting, still have one in the morning. And it just gives everybody that time that they know they're going to have in their day. Um, when no one's bothering you. You know, when you're working at the distributed team, it's not the same time zone for everybody either. So what we do to to deal with that is we have office hours. So our office hours are 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Pacific time. So for me in central time, that's 11 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Um, the, that's the time when everybody is expected to be online, to be responsive on Slack, available via email, available for meetings. Um, and that way we know, you know, if you message somebody during office hours, you can expect a response. Um, and then the rest of the time, you know, if you do the math, that doesn't add up to 40 hours a week. The rest of the time you can structure however you want. So, you know, I have a child. He is at school or daycare from 8 a.m. to 8.15 a.m. to 5.45 p.m. And that's when I work. Yeah. Um, but there are people who, you know, they get up super early. You know, I'm on central time. People are in Pacific time. I'm starting at nine. They're starting at seven because they're morning people and I'm not. Um, It allows people to structure their day how they want. The downside to that, or not the downside, but a a risk associated with that is that when you are, when people are structuring their own work days, the bleed between work and life can get really bad. And you need to make really sure that your clients' expectations are set. So- We, if you want to work in the evening, if you want to work on weekends, I encourage you not to, but if it is legitimately how you work best and you, that's how you structure your life and and you're living your best life. um, I celebrate that. I high five it. I support it. I do not want you to email our clients on weekends because I don't want them to know that you can be reached. 
do not want you to email them at 11 p.m. because I don't want them to know that you might see an email from them at 11 p.m. So schedule that to go out the morning, you know, start of office hours the next day. Um, and that allows us to maintain consistency, not only internally, but also with our clients um, and make sure that we are doing what we can to help the team defend that time, that that life time, the life part of work life, work life integration. That, like, I, I, that's such a like an important call out about scheduling emails. I don't think yeah. people always think to do that. There's always that balance of like, you know, it's just that availability. Like same mm -hmm. with like, if you get back to someone right away immediately, and then that's the expectation every single time, not to say that's a bad thing, but it's all about setting those expectations. I'm curious for the managers who are listening to us as a manager, mm -hmm. how do you ensure your team is like defending their own work-life balance? Like, do you check in with folks? Do you try to pick up on signals? How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. So we use uh, a time tracking tool called EverHour, um, which integrates with Trello um, to track time to various tasks. Um, that's just something we use internally. Um, you know, occasionally a client will be like, well, what have you guys done in the last two months? We'd be like, here's a list of everything, how long it took. But um, typically we're just looking at that internally. I have alerts set up if somebody works less than, I think it's like less than 35 or more than 42 hours in a week, I get an alert. Um, and that allows me to go in and say, hey, it looks like you worked really late on Friday. You know, what's going on? Do we need to triage your tasks? Do we need to rearrange stuff on your plate? Sometimes we do. Sometimes people are like, no, I was just in the zone, man. And that's also fine. Um, but it gives us a place to, to check in. Um, and I really do think, and I think a lot of managers, well, my experience being managed in the past also, is that a lot of managers don't think about setting an example. So I've had managers who are like, well, if I email you at 11 p.m., I don't expect you to see that until the next day. Okay, but if I know that you're doing it, then it makes me feel like, like, do you actually, like, will you like me more if I do answer this? Are you going to think I'm a go-getter? That's the kind of thing that can kind of creep in. Um, and so I, I believe really, really, really strongly in setting good boundaries to maintain your work life. Again, I like to say work-life integration because I think they should support each other. But I think defending against burnout is super important. And I'm a huge advocate of you know, why do you have a job? You have a job so you can live your life. If you're not living your life, eventually that person's going to quit. And my whole job as your manager is to make sure you don't quit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, setting that boundary, saying like, okay, well, it's, and, and with a child, this becomes easier. Like, it's 5 p.m. here. I have to leave in 15 minutes to pick up my kid. So you have 15 minutes. Otherwise, it's going to have to wait till tomorrow. Um, you know, uh, no, I can't meet then, but I can meet, you know, tomorrow. Uh, setting that example that way, and then just really taking the time. We use 15.5. Um, it's just like a regular check-in once a week. Um, I love 15.5. It's super lightweight, just a little check-in tool. Um, but it gives me another place to kind of see, like, you've been at a solid three out of five lately. Like, what could we do to make that a four out of five? What could we do that to make that a five out of five? Like, how how is your workload? How are you feeling about that? Like, where are you anxious about that? And And really taking the time to to talk to people about their lives. Um, and I think it, the an, another way that managers can support this, so this is something that I saw really clearly with COVID is there are workplaces that were ready to support their team 
through all of the stuff that came with COVID, not just sickness, not just being out, not just even working remotely, but the psychic weight of it. Um, the fact that like we've had a real depressing couple years. Um, yeah. Years. Years. It's been years. Um, and, you know, for a while, like my kids' school was closed for 10 weeks, uh, but I still had work full time. So upbuild and, you know, I was in a in the position where I could help drive this policy, but did so much to be like, okay, I am going to work during office hours and then I'm going to work from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And that's when I'm working and otherwise I'm not available because there's a small person who needs me to stay alive. And that's more important than work. And it should be more important than work. But checking in with our with our, our staff and just being like, do you need to take time? How can we support you? Do you need to change your schedule? Um, you know, letting people bow out of things like pair calls, being responsive and flexible to people's needs. It's something that's really a lot easier to do when you're working remotely than it is when you're all in an office. Um, so why wouldn't you do it? It's you touch on so many good things there. And and it's I think it all goes back earlier to what you're saying about creating like the these these zones of safetyness. Like oh, yeah. you need to create a safe place so that people actually believe you when you have these policies that we're not mm -hmm. used to. Because to your point, it's like you model, you know, the the values of the company, mm -hmm. but you 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 might have an op operation like being a, a mom who has a kid, you know, certain hours, that's completely different than someone who has a completely different lifestyle, but yeah. they still need to feel comfortable living their life. I guess what I'm curious about is like, how explicit do you con continue to reinforce that you're different than me and how you work? I'm not judging you. Mm -hmm. I want you to do your work the way you need to. So we have a good culture that's also functional. You're doing your job. I mean, that's something that, that I try to stress a lot in both team meetings and one-on-ones with people. Um, and there's so many things, you know, Hey, I need to start an hour late cause I have a doctor's appointment. Fine. Um, like, Oh, and we also, we implemented a, a four day work week where if you want to, yeah, you can get all your work done in four days instead of five. You can, you know, work four days instead of five. I can't do that because of my own schedule, but people can, people do. Um, and we encourage that. Uh, you know, I, check in on people's PTO balances throughout the year and say like, you haven't taken time off. Uh, do you want to take some time off? And actually Mike just did that for me. Um, it's like, you need to go on vacation. Right? <laughs> like, oh, right. I also work here. I should also go on vacation. Well, that goes back to it, right? That's a valuable thing to have someone like check you. I'm the same way. It's like my, our office manager at FCAR the other day was like, you know, when you take your day off, you have to disconnect. Like, yeah. I don't want you doing work, which for some of us can be really hard when, you know, if you're, if you're a marketer and you have like, you know, specific things that need to go out and you don't always have the people to delegate to, mm -hmm. it's tricky to do that. I'm curious. Well, as I'll perhaps yell at you on Slack. If I see you that's on awesome. Slack and you take me to I'll be like, get out. That's a that's a good way to read like that's the one time it's okay to be kind of like a jerk about things is when yeah. you're reinforcing like good healthy behavior. It's yeah. like you need that help. Um, nap. I'm curious. So one thing is you are really great at establishing relationships between the agency and the clients. You have a lot of great client relationships. Um I'm curious in terms of your weekend philosophy or your nighttime mm -hmm. philosophy. If you have people who are working on the weekend, but they're not working during the normal nine to five, how do you establish a good relationship with the clients in terms of making sure either their expectations are right or that they are just getting responded to in an appropriate amount of time? 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we do have those office hours. So when people are working Monday through Friday, they are at least there. So there is a time of day every day when they know that when our clients know that we can be reached. Um, we have weekly um, we have weekly Zoom calls with all of our clients. Sometimes if it's a client we've had for a long time, we'll go to biweekly, but upfront we're meeting weekly. Um, and one thing that we really found that I know a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of people both at Upbuild and not at Upbuild wish that this was not true, but having video on during client calls makes a huge difference. Like if you're on a Zoom call, having video on the relationship is so much better than just on audio because it's so easy to be doing other stuff when it's audio only. And and not just for you. Like I would hope that, you know, you're servicing your client. You're like on, but your client, it's very easy for them to be doing other stuff and only half listening. Having that video, having that face-to-face connection, it really is the best way to make everybody feel like a person. Um, make sure that, you know, your clients remember that your people you're relating on a on a personal level as well as a professional level um, and and establish those connections. And I really try to you know, one of the things we do with client onboarding is really think about not just the client and as a company, but the client as like our point of contact, our stakeholder. What do they need? What are the metrics that their boss looks at? Like, how can we make this person a rock star? within their organization um, and really take it to that, that more personal level where it's not, you know, we have all as SEOs had experiences where we have driven a lot of value and lost a client mm-hmm. uh, because they weren't looking at the right thing. Um, you know, I had a like a local hot tub company once where we increased their organic traffic by 60% and lost them because they were not ranking number one for hot tubs. Oh, no. Many years ago now, but I'm still not over it. Um, So how do we, it's not just about delivered value. It's also about perceived value. So how can we make sure that we are consistently demonstrating the value of what we're doing? We're celebrating wins. We're even introducing some gamification. So I think one thing all agencies and also in-house SEOs, but especially agencies really struggle with is implementation, right? You deliver this beautiful deliverable that your client has paid you lots of money for, and then they don't do anything with it. Um, And then you lose the client because they haven't seen any results because they haven't implemented any of your recommendations. We have started doing some gamification with that where we'll, you know, every deliverable we have that goes into a dashboard and each action item is broken out. And we have percent complete uh, in terms of things that have been implemented. And then an overall completion percentage for the engagement as a whole. Um, And that I think, you know, perceived value as well as delivered value, like maybe it's two months in and we just now are getting the point where we're making changes to the website. And you're like, it's been two months, what are we seeing? Being clear about the metrics that you're intending to affect and your progress against those. So maybe you did a bunch of technical stuff, your rankings on high value keywords are not necessarily improving yet, but you can look at things like, look how fast the site is now, look how, you know, many more pages are being indexed. Look at our, you know, how low our cumulative web sh- cumulative layout shift is, things like that. Um, making sure that you're focusing on the right metrics and celebrating them. And then one thing that I've really started thinking about a lot in the last year is I think agencies in general need to get over the idea that implementation isn't something that we can affect. Um, both because, I mean, it's, there are some things you can't do and you can lead a, you can lead a client to water. Um, but you can't make them update their title tags. Um, but what you can do is say, hey, give me, log into your, give me WordPress credentials. I can do this. I can do it in an hour. 
Like, just let me do it. Um, so one of the things that I managing the team have have started to build into our engagement building process is where are the points where we need to look and see if we have an implementation emergency. If we are about to start optimizing on-page content and they still have not implemented any of our metadata, we are about to create a backlog of tasks for the client that constitutes an implementation emergency. I don't have to be in the office with the client to help them with that, to say like, yeah, if you give us credentials, we can just do it. Or just like, even just like, hey, before a meeting today, can you update the title tags on these five pages? Um, you chunk it out. Uh, you and I were talking earlier about the idea of breaking tasks out into tickets. Mm -hmm. um, update all the title tags. It's a big task. It's a daunting task. Update five title tags. You can do that in three minutes. So really thinking about if if you're not if your clients aren't implementing things, change how you're delivering them. Change how you're talking about them. Um, and really just make it as collaborative as possible, as though you were there in the office, as though you were their coworker. And it's super like, I can just do that. If you if you have another other stuff, I can just do it. Um, to really to build that collaboration and, and create that perceived value as well as moving things forward. It's, uh, it's so it's so important. You're you're so right about like the the agency responsibility. And it's funny because it's like here here at uh, I pull rank one of our value our core values is about like we do this whole our proud thing and the P stands for proactive. And that's Ooh. one of those moments where it's like okay. if you have these opportunities, yeah, to be proactive and help out the client where you can, do it like it goes back to your building trust. You know, you mm -hmm. want to have trust. If they trust you to do the work, then yeah. you can actually get it done. Everyone's being happy, but you also need yeah. to have boundaries. Uh, Ruth, this is, this has been awesome. I know I wanted to ask you, we are, we are going to get to the end here, but you, I know you're hiring. So yes. I just wanted to ask a, like what you guys are hiring for at Upbuild and, and just kind of like in, in, in a sense or two, like, what are you looking for? Yeah. So we are hiring for the, the role title is senior marketing strategist. Um, we do have the budget and bandwidth to possibly hire two people for the role if we can find the right people. Um, our senior marketing strategists are really the core of Upbuild. They're the people who do the work. We uh, So we pride ourselves on being an agency built by people who hate agencies. Um, so a lot of the things that really suck about working at an agency, we try not to do. Um, we cap our senior marketing strategists at four clients. That's four, not 40. Right. Um, so each of your clients is getting 25% of your time every month. You really have a chance to make a difference for them and build that relationship. We don't have account managers. So you are talking directly to the client. Um, you are talking directly to their the developers. Um, there's no game of telephone there. Um, so we were looking for people. Um, so we say three years of SEO experience, three plus. Um, and that's about the level. Like I want you to come to Upbuild already knowing how to do SEO. Um, and then I'm going to help you get way better at it because I've been doing it a long time, but like, um, and I happen to think I built this better at it than most people. Um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, and that'd be lucky because they get to work with you. They get to learn from your, all your expertise over the years. And not just you know, me, but the team who are yeah. super smart, super experienced, just like I learned stuff from the team every day. Um, but yeah, we, uh, you know, I'm trying to think like what else is, I mean, a lot of things are, it's. <laughs> working at Bill is the best job I've ever had. And I've had some awesome jobs. Um, salary range is 60 to 70. We do have some wiggle room on that. So ask. I like to be very transparent about salary because I think. Yeah, that's great. 24 plus days a year, eight plus weeks family leave if you need it. Um, like I said, optional four day work week. Um, we are looking for 
technical SEOs who want to come in and make a big difference. Um, we want people, we want the best technical SEOs to do work they are proud of for clients that they are delighted to partner with. And that's that's our deal. I love it. Seems like a great culture. Ruth, if people wants to find you online and reach out, what's what's the best way to get in touch? Well, um, they can hit me up on Twitter. It's just at Ruth Burr. Um, they can email me at ruth at upbuild.io. Um, if you want to check out more about the job listing, you can go to upbuild.io slash b dash a dash builder uh, and learn more about the, the role. And um, yeah, anybody who has any questions, like, please do slide in my DMs, email me. I'm very friendly uh, and I'm happy. I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have. And she'll give you tips on how to get onto Wheel of Fortune in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Hopefully we get to sing karaoke at some future SEO yes. conference together. Sound yeah. good? Yes. Okay. Well, that was Ruth Burridi of Upbuild. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank for the Rankable Podcast. We will be back next week with Amanda Milligan of Stacker. We're going to talk all about creating newsworthy content. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Y'all have a great weekend, and we will see you then. Bye-bye now. Bye.